0: Hiya and welcome to another episode of The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy. You might be listening on Liz Burns 98 FM or you could be listening on Bangor FM or maybe you're listening on FM 105 in Downpatrick or on the podcast after at thejewelcase.johndarcy.com. However you're listening, you're more than welcome and tonight I have a very special guest all the way from the USA. It's Raina Gellert. How are you doing, Raina? I'm doing swell. Good, good. You got that. <laughs> you got that lingo in straight away. Swell. <laughs> Because if you were from here, you'd just say, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rainy, you're over to play a couple of gigs around Northern Ireland um, just to kick off February and uh, sort of tour about your new album.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. My first time in Northern Ireland.
0: I can't believe that. (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe you haven't been dragged over here already by the folks at Open House Festival. Especially our listeners in Bangor will know that there's a great like scene for bluegrass music there. Mm. And that's what you do, like bluegrass, fiddle, bit of old time as a singer-songwriter as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mix. I Really what I do is more traditional old time music in general, but um, I've really been getting into writing songs and so the current band is actually with drums and electric guitar but I'm also playing fiddle tunes and it's sort of a mashup of singer songwriter stuff and traditional songs and fiddle tunes but in a,
2: I don't know, slightly different setting Samuel, oh Samuel I told you before Don't go It's a short life of trouble Long nights in the jail It's a short life of trouble No one to go your bail Work
0: is too hard, boys Work is too hard, boys Have you brought over a whole band?
1: for the gigs i this is a trio so it's me playing acoustic guitar and fiddle and singing and kai welch is playing keyboard and electric guitar and singing harmonies and kai um and jamie dick is playing drums and um yeah it's it's an awesome band they're fantastic
0: Well, these are playing on, and let me list these out, because I don't expect you to remember all the art centres around Northern Ireland. (laughs) You're shaking your head in disbelief. So you're playing a string of five shows. Uh, The first is on, indeed, the 1st of February at Struel Art Centre in Uma. And then you're heading over to Bangor to play at Bangor Castle on Thursday the 2nd. And the night after that, in my hometown, Lisburn, at the Island Arts Centre on Friday the 3rd. And then you're going to Limavady, way up in the northwest, uh, in Roe Valley Arts Centre on the 4th of February. And then back to Belfast, where we're recording right now. Uh, you're playing at the Crescent Arts Centre on the 5th of February. So you're actually doing a little bit of a star-shaped trek around <laughs> Northern Ireland. You're sort of going back in yourself and then crossing over Belfast again and then entering <laughs> back right in the middle.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Do you think you'll get much chance to see the sort of sights around or just out of the window of the bus?
1: We'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I've am i been told I'm going to see all sorts of gorgeous things. So uh, I don't know. You can, If you're on Instagram, you can... See what photos I wind up posting. Oh, do you do you
0: document your your touring <laughs> oh, on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. heck
1: yeah. Oh, I yeah, love and Kai Kai actually just bought a new camera at the beginning of this tour, and he's been taking some beautiful photos. He hasn't put a whole lot of them up yet, but he will be. Um, so yeah, no, it's it, that's one of the the fun things about social media is getting to share all the fun sites. What's your handle on Instagram? Raina Gellert. It's R A Y N A G E L L E R T.
0: So please follow follow. Yeah, me follow me on
1: Instagram. It's really fun. <laughs> uh,
0: you can follow me as well. I'm uh, at underscore John Darcy. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna hunt um, you down. But, but I don't have that. And I don't have interesting tour photos or anything, so it's not <laughs> that good. <laughs> um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more about your background in music. Like, how did you get into old time music? What attracted you to that? I
1: actually grew up with it. Uh, my parents both. Play old time music. My dad, in particular, has a a pretty deep obsession with traditional music. Um, And he's a really amazing fiddler and banjo player. And uh, so I I grew up with the music and um, just always really loved it. And I started out playing classical violin as a kid in my school orchestra, partly because I was intimidated by my dad. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I was sort of scared to try to play old time fiddle music. Okay. Um, so I did classical music instead. And then when I moved away from home to go to college, is when I actually started playing old time fiddle.
0: Oh, wow. So you yeah. were kind of hiding that yeah. underneath. What, what, is, that, is that a bit, are we getting a bit Freudian here? Like it's, no, you it's, hiding it's all, the folk from your dad?
1: No, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Like when I, when I actually started playing old time music, I was away at college, and I actually wrote him sort of a coming out letter. It <gasps> was sort of like, "I'm I'm playing old time fiddle, and I'd really like to get to play with you, but you really are super intimidating musically." And um, of course, he was very happy that I was playing. Um, oh, that's brilliant! And it's it is the most amazing thing to get to play music with him when that happens it's a rare occasion really because we live pretty far apart but oh um, so
0: so wh- where is he now
1: he lives in Ohio Dayton Ohio
0: and where are you based
1: I am now based in Nashville Tennessee
0: home of music
1: home of loads of music yes well how are
0: you finding Nashville because it must be like I guess it's like all those big music cities it's like you sort of people migrate or sort of and get magnetized to the large centers of music mm-hmm. um and for good or for bad but how are you finding it
1: well i'm living in east nashville <gasps> which is like I, I don't know the difference okay okay <laughs> east nashville is like kind of hipsterville oh. like, there's a lot of really cool music happening in that community um sort of roots country and really wonderfully arty singer songwriters and it's a real It's a real community. It's really, there's a lot of collaborative, supportive energy there. And I feel like I've landed in a really great spot to make music.
0: And is this where you've met the musicians in your band or who you're recording your album with?
1: Well, everyone, yeah, on the album, uh, which is the folks on the album are Kai and Jamie, who are on tour with me here, and Kieran Kane, who's a a great songwriter. And uh, he was co-producer on the album with me. Um they yeah they've all been in Nashville for a long time and it is yeah that's where I met all of them Kai and Jamie and I toured together in Abigail Washburn's band so right. so we've done a lot of musical stuff together and yeah it's really wonderful cuz I was living in North Carolina for a long time about 5 hour drive from Nashville and every time I'd come over to Nashville I'd just get so pumped up about music and possibilities. And so now that I'm there, it's really, it's a treat because I can actually sit down and have a rehearsal with guys and Jamie or, you know, hang out with folks and work on songwriting and all that. It's great.
0: And what's a Nashville hipster like as opposed to, say, a Portland hipster or a New York hipster? Oh, they're,
1: hipsters are the same everywhere.
0: Oh, really? Yes, yeah, it's, it's all the same hipsters. They're interchangeable. I feel like Northern Irish <laughs> hipsters, though, are always a couple of years behind. You know, <laughs> There's like the cutting edge hipsters are in like London and New York. And then I right. think we get that about four years later.
1: Right, yeah. There's probably, some, it's that's probably true in Nashville too. I'm not really keeping up with hipster culture.
2: I'll plant them Tell me how many And where they should go And how many Babies to birth For to tend them To see what from earth And from birth I might grow The small bitter Pear will brew The sweet perry To brighten the night When the day's work is done, and when I'm long gone, there'll be children and orchards to tend to each other here under the sun.
0: So, for people who aren't familiar with your back catalogue, um, where does the new album fit in? Mm. And also, like, you've done lots of work with different groups over the years,
1: yeah. Um, I don't know where the new album fits in. It's kind of its own animal in a way. It feels to me like a pretty natural progression from my last big recording project, which was Old Light, um, which was half traditional songs and half original songs and all kind of slightly arty treatments, at least coming coming from a traditional music background. It's all kind of arty to me, like anything other than fiddles and banjos is like, whoa, crazy. <laughs> and um, so that was sort of my first attempt at morphing these different interests into one pile sure. of like songwriting and traditional songs. And it was also the first time I did a vocal album. Okay, I've always just been a fiddler, really. Um, so this does feel like a sort of natural progression after that Um but I, yeah, previously I've mostly recorded as a fiddler uh, with the string band I was in, Uncle Earl, um, and then like playing on other people's records and stuff. It's all, and my own, like I put out my own fiddle albums too back in the day.
0: Yeah, I was on your website and there's a great sense of your artistic practice sort of being tied to. And uh, maybe this is just my reading of it, but a, a great sense of your practice being tied to you know the um, the foundations of of that traditional music, and I guess the longevity of it, and the documenting and archiving. Um, you ha- you have in lessons on your site and videos of you playing specific songs, and it gives the tunings of the songs and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about what interests you on that end of things? You know, the
1: archiving uh.
2: and keeping
0: that
1: music alive.
2: Well, I mean, I I
1: don't know why why do any of us get geeked out about certain things? <laughs> Is you know? it's just geeking out? <laughs> it's kind of geeking out. It's I mean, it's a real. Uh, I'm not a virtuosic musician, but I'm a I'm I, I've got this niche interest, and so it's very narrow, but it's very deep. Yeah, and so for other people who share that interest. You know, folks who are trying to learn old-time fiddle tunes, it can be hard to find resources that actually help you f- get in there, like find an entry point for things like, yeah, okay, I like that tune, but what tuning is it in? And like, what, what what's going on with the Boeing and stuff like that? And so I, I really like teaching. I like teaching old-time fiddle. Um, I mm. do online lessons and, uh, yeah, and I have all those instructional videos on my site. and. It's a, I mean, that's. I just feel like that's always going to be an aspect of what I do because I feel like I was lucky to have grown up with it. So I have sort of a. an organic relationship with the music that a lot of people don't have. Mm. Most people find it at some point in their life and want an entry point, you know. And so I feel like I can help people get in there a little bit.
0: And at this stage, do you feel like like are you ever discovering new songs, or have you sort of like filled up the book of songs in terms of American folk
1: song? Oh, it's no, it's bottomless. It's totally bottomless. <laughs> it's never ending. It's never ending. Both yeah, both fiddle tunes and and songs. There's always more more to dig up and more to. I guess one discover. of the
0: main figures in you know, collecting folk songs is Alan Lomax, and yeah. there's links from your site as well to resources of his mm-hmm. and the Smithsonian mm-hmm. website. So it's, it's nearly like a research project, in a sense.
1: <laughs>
0: you call it a research project. I call it my life. <laughs> well, this is, I guess that is your life, yeah? Like your life's work, in a way? Uh,
1: I don't know. I, I mean... I don't think of it that way. I don't think of it as a research project. It's just um it's just something I've been interested in for a really long time and so you just gradually accumulate knowledge and accumulate it and also lose it. Like <laughs> I mean honestly like the past several years I've been getting more and more into writing songs. And so I haven't been quite as geeked out about the fiddle. So I haven't been like my repertoire has actually shrunk because I'm just not playing as much fiddle but um but i I am learning old songs as well as working on new ones and um so I feel like because i did i the singing thing is relatively new for me okay, and so that aspect of what I'm doing is growing while this other one is sort of I don't want to say it's shrivelling but <laughs> it's just not I'm not keeping up with it as much as I was for some time you just need to check out your own website exactly (laughs) exactly well what about
0: that you know adding songwriting to your repertoire of what you're doing and you're introducing singing and new elements um because I guess for some people when you talk about traditional music there's that um I guess wrestling match between Traditionalist practices, and you know things that sort of keep things moving a little bit and pushing in slightly different directions, which I feel is what you're up to at the minute. Mm -hmm. So, are are there like folklorists like spinning in their graves now, or what you're doing with the with the genre? I hate that I said that, but I'm sure there probably are. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been a really interesting journey for me because I I was one of those really hardcore traditionalists, like. Do not mess with this music. Like, because I really, I felt like when I was younger, I had this very skewed perspective that basically now I see it as having grown up in a cult in a way, which is not, and it's not my parents' fault at all. They're like quite open minded about musical stuff. But because I was so into this sort of old time scene, there are people in that scene who are, who are very, um, yeah, just very strict about what the boundaries are around the music. And I had a sense when I was younger of trying to protect it, like that it needed to be protected and fostered in a certain way. And because when I was younger, there weren't very many people my age playing. And, and so anyone who was like taking the music and doing something, you know, different, non-traditional with the music, I saw it as some kind of ego trip that they were on. Like that they, they thought that the music needed to be improved in some way or something. And it took me quite a long time to, to realize that doing something different with a, with source material doesn't negate the source material that it's like both of those things can exist. You can sing an unaccompanied ballad and love it, or you can set that to a techno beat and love that. And neither of those things is, is exclusive. And, but it took me a long time to get to that point. And it's been, I mean, it's just been a huge internal struggle for me for a long time about sort of where I'm, where I'm comfortable going with, traditional material and where I'm not and um, and in the end what I've come down to is just like I have musical stuff that I want to do, musical stuff that energizes me personally. and if I'm actually an artist, if I'm if I'm making this my life, then I have to pursue the stuff that energizes me and that I get excited about and I can't be sort of policing my parameters about that. I have, to, I have to be okay with just pursuing that energy wherever that goes.
0: Do you think that, you know, we do, in a sense, need to also rely on um, the traditionalists to keep, like, the root of, of a thing alive? And, and I would never sort of really consider myself to say, like, as a person who would say, oh, you need to continue playing traditional music in a certain way because I'm all about that, you know, that the you're constantly remixing music learning things by ear playing it slightly your own way and that's how genres evolve and um you know leak out into sort of different areas and become different parts of a spider's web but I guess as I get older I'm sort of going the other way and thinking oh you know but you really need players who are keeping the traditional art form alive just to be able to go to some place in the world to be able to hear it live and not on a recording
1: yeah Absolutely. I'm 100% with you on that. And that's, I mean, part of, honestly, part of why I have felt free to wander off from my traditionalist ways is because there are now so many young people playing traditional music in a traditional way. That I don't feel like it's my job to protect it anymore. Really, <laughs> you honestly, can pass over the reins. Too. Honestly, yeah. yeah, and and that's not you know twenty years ago I didn't feel that way, and now I do, and um, and also like just sort of on a practical level, I feel like I paid my dues. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I I feel like I have done a lot of feeding of the tradition in a traditional way, and. And obviously I continue to like I when I teach old time fiddle music, I'm teaching it stuff, you know, through my own lens, obviously, like everyone has has their own lens that they're seeing it through. But I'm not like teaching people far out versions of fiddle tunes like that. That remains a very traditional part of my life. (laughs) my creative life why do
0: you think it's over the past number of years that you're finding a bit of a boom in
1: younger people playing the music and I guess keeping it alive wow I don't know what to point to exactly because I think it's a lot of different factors um you know the oh brother where art thou thing was, was a legit turning point I think that's that sparked something and the success of Artists who are in some way connected to roots music, like uh, Old Crow Medicine Show or Gillian Welch and David Rawlings, um, sort of. It can be kind of a, a gateway drug, I guess, for people. Who <laughs> That's then,
0: exactly what I was thinking. There, you do yeah. gateway artists yeah, to exactly. hardcore bluegrass <laughs> exactly. or old time,
1: <laughs> right? Because and and I know that you know for for the generation previous to me I know a lot of musicians who came to string band music through the Grateful Dead right you know like there's okay. there there are those there's sort of entry points where it's like oh where'd they get that song oh that's an old song you know and then yeah. um, hunting down more and more stuff but the thing is now with the internet everything is so accessible so if someone says oh yeah that that's actually a Blind Willie Johnson song, or whatever. You can just Google that and find the original recording like that. Whereas, you know, when I was younger, it was work to hunt down the archival recordings and 78s and stuff like that. Like, you had to know record collectors. You had to, you had to like already be in with some geeks in order to hunt <laughs> the music down. You did. And now everything is accessible to everyone. And so I think that. That makes it easier for, for folks to get into playing it.
0: For sure. Now it's more of a case of when you hear something that you know is, you know, a version of something else, you can just Google one line of the lyrics and find the song. Whereas right. before it was really a case of the performer giving you an introduction to what the song was built on. And now I guess we don't get that as much probably because people don't tell as many stories on stage right now. But um, but then the internet started to fill in those gaps. Right. Yeah,
1: it's true. It's true.
0: Uh, are you in your songwriting then incorporating you know fragments, quotations in that way, or is it more this the stylistic style of playing and the, the kinds of scales that you're using in terms of how the the music is flowing through?
1: Um, this album, way more so than the last one, my songwriting is incorporating older material, like actual bits of lyrics that I'm lifting from other places and, um, and themes and stuff that I'm pulling from, from specific sources Uh, on the last album, not so much. It was sort of like my songs were just sort of singer songwriter songs. Um, You know, structurally everything I do tends to be pretty simple because my, I, I really consider old time music to be my native language musically. So that the simplicity of the form is just what I, what comes out of me because that's, that's what I'm most comfortable with.
2: Oh, Jordan, stormy, faints as day.
0: Um in terms of like, what, what are the key characteristics to like old time American music for you? And maybe because we are on the jewel case uh, in Northern Ireland and, you know, Irish traditional music has such links to American music, like maybe could you talk through for, because maybe a lot of people don't really realize the links between those sort of um, melody styles and oh, the styles yeah. of the tunes.
1: Well, um... I mean, an interesting thing to me is the the way that uh, Irish traditional music has, in some ways, evolved a lot more, like in the past century, than American old time music has. So, um, like the the way the way that in Celtic music fiddle tunes are accompanied, for instance, like there's this contemporary. Way of accompanying fiddle tunes. It's very chordy. There's a lot of chordal movement, a mm-hmm. lot of different chord shadings that people play, and and that's that doesn't happen in old time music. So even though the tunes, like they're, they're literally the same, you can trace a lot of the tunes. Like there's an American version of an Irish tune. Um, so even though the, t- the melodies may be identical. The, obviously the fiddle style is different, but also the way that people think about accompanying that tune is is very different. And in old time music, it's very simple. Um, most fiddle tunes have three chords or less and all major chords. Um so really It's not the the main, I mean it's they, getting really close to nerdy, geeky music
0: talk, but is that the sort of the four, the three main chords, like the first, the fourth, and the fifth? Yeah, so yeah. Yep. Okay, so that's 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 kind of a generally happy-go-lucky feel. Yeah, exactly. There's it's very, very little tension.
1: There. Very little tension. Yeah, no, it's one, four, five, all major. And um, yeah, so it makes for a very sort of, yeah, very yeah, cheerful sounding yeah. music. And, and that's the thing is it's, you know, it's mostly dance music. Mm-hmm. Mostly for square dancing, um, so I mean that's it, it, I'm generalizing, and some and there is a debate in in the old time world about kind of chordal accompaniment and what's appropriate. But <laughs> but as far as like the way that I think about structuring a song, like yeah, I, I most of the stuff I write is one four five, and um, I mean one thing that. Is a little weird, I guess. Is just the um, old time music. Sometimes there's what we refer to as crooked phrasing. I don't know if that's what you would call it here, but like having extra beats.
0: Oh, like adding an extra beat into uh, a line, just for. Or, that or like an
1: extra half measure or something like oh, that. So that okay. that's something like that's about as weird as as my structuring. Gets and is that, that that feels work, very natural. Can that work to me. in
0: dance music? Or is that more for like a... That's
1: more I'm more talking about songs. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, when I write songs. Because I'm
0: just I'm just picturing everybody trying to dance to that and then being like, Hey, what what did they do? <laughs> did that record just skip?
1: <laughs> but the thing is actually for square dancing you can have things that are slightly crooked like you don't want one extra beat but like having having another an extra half measure would be okay like a couple extra beats is okay as long as it comes out even in some way
0: (laughs) do you ever get the chance now to play um for like live dancing audiences yeah
1: yeah sometimes not as not as much as I used to um what's what's like what's
0: that like compared to you know playing for uh I guess a very um attentive audience at Struill Arts Center in (laughs) Oma
1: um yeah well they're just they're just different animals entirely, <laughs> but I love both of them.
0: Uh, have you ever? Well, no, you you said this your first time in Ireland, so of course you haven't. You've just arrived today, but do you think you'll get a chance to sit in on a trad session here?
1: I don't think I'm going to have time because we've got shows every night yeah, except for tonight. Every and, evening, um, and... yeah, but.
0: Because there's a couple of good ones around Belfast. You could like maybe maybe pop your head into like.
1: Right yeah, I mean that's the thing. If we're if we're back when it's not too too late and something's still going. And on. And this is the thing. Sometimes they out. do go on real late. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky.
0: Yeah, you've got a good a good set of heads and moving on music. Hopefully, can point yeah. you in the right direction. Would you be able to hop in on the tunes? Would there be tunes that you would recognise, or would you sort of have to sit for a while and work it out?
1: Well, this is. This is something, I went through a little phase where I was trying to learn some Irish tunes. This was a long time ago. And in old time music, the way the sessions are is you just play the same tune for a really long time. Okay. (laughs) It's very... uh,
0: Like meditative nearly?
1: That's exactly the word I was going to use. Yes, it's very meditative. Um, And so it's a really friendly environment for picking up new tunes because it'll just go on for ages and you can learn the tune. And obviously Irish music that doesn't happen. So, you, you know, it's like three times through the tune and you're on to the next one. So, it's for for someone who doesn't know the tunes, it's it's not easy to just hop in there. Okay. Cuz you know, by the time you're starting to get a handle on on the tune, it's gone. <laughs> you're on to the next one and then your brain explodes.
0: In terms of, like, the feel of, like, you went to a session, would there be a lot of characteristics that you'd, like, recognize um, in terms of, like, the, I don't know, the way players interact and things? Um,
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that is a nice, a nice thing about playing folk music is folk musicians are kind of the same the world over. (laughs) Like, we're all, we, there's a common spirit i feel like to people who play folk music can i describe to
0: listeners sort of your 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 um, body language right now because you're sort of like your eyes are sort of turned into slits and you're kind of looking out of your left and right and that's that's a look that i see a lot of folk musicians doing when they're playing at the session they're sort of looking at the other players sometimes out of their right and left corners of their eyes <laughs>
1: busted um no really what i mean is just that uh there's there's kind of a personality of like, I mean, obviously, not not everyone, but just sort of a chillness and a like, I don't know. It's easy it's easy to hang out with other folk musicians. There's just sort of a there's a common common language there. Is that yeah.
0: because it's that sort of handed down behavior as well as the songs? Like, you start going to events um, or sessions as a young person, and you quickly absorb how how the group behaves Mm. as an organism. And then you sort of insert yourself into that and like become that as well. Mm.
1: Wow. That's, you're getting psychological. (laughs) It's a fascinating theory. No, there is, there's something to that because, because folk music is communal music and, and it's based around jamming. Mm. And in order for that to work, there are a lot of subtle cues that you have to pick up on and, um. yeah
0: yeah because it's social cohesion really as well yeah. at the end of the day it's like uh, it, you, no one's changing the key all of a sudden because there's a mutual understanding of where the music goes and yeah. how, how it starts and ends yeah with wow. different players deep thoughts who are your musical idols that you've looked up to obviously your father you've mentioned
1: oh yeah he's so I guess it all starts there he's the main one really I mean he's my favorite musician in any genre he's an astonishing musician I mean otherwise like these days with songwriting um you know I'm a huge fan of Mark Knopfler oh yeah yeah I'm a big fan of uh Tom Waits um and and I've got you know a lot of a lot of friends who are really inspiring to me. You know, folks around Nashville. Uh, Gillian Welch, of course, is mm. an amazing craftsperson. And um, yeah, and Kieran Kane, who I've been working with, big inspiration. Uh yeah, I mean there's there's too many. There's way too many to to name,
0: but Oh, well, don't worry, the Oscars music's not gonna play. <laughs> <laughs> people growing up in different places have their different sort of pop culture icons and mm-hmm. like what, what parts of the mainstream media hit them, but mm-hmm. was, was music on the mainstream hitting you as a young person? And like, aside from the old time music, is there like pop acts that you were drawn to or like um, metal band t-shirts hidden at the back of your closet? Yeah,
1: or? totally. I mean, when I was in high school, I totally went through my Led Zeppelin phase. Um, I mean, which of course continues who, <laughs> who doesn't love Led zeppelin they're the most amazing band um but when i was in high school nirvana was hitting mm. and um i loved nirvana still love nirvana um but really only recently did i realize that probably part of why i relate to nirvana is that they're like their chord choices like they do a lot of um, these kind of uncomfortable, like six major kind of things in their music. That's very much like what happens in old time music. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, maybe that's why I related to that so strongly. You know, it's just like, so it was. There were sounds there that were appealing. Um, so I mean, those I guess would be would be some of the ones. I mean, now nowadays. I'm just I'm very fascinated by production, and so I love hearing what's on the radio and just thinking about production, like like Beyonce and you know stuff like that, where it's just like, whoa, where did they get that crazy like synth based sound? Like what is that? Like (laughs) that kind of like those sort of studio studio tricks and an interesting sonic palettes or like I, I love that stuff
0: oh I love that too and really when you listen back to my, my favorite thing is listening back to 90s R&B because I think that that was really when we reached a high point in musical creation in terms of production <laughs> there's just such a freedom of sound and it just threw everything at it It's all sorts of percussion all sorts of synthesizers it was yeah. really just a meeting of every kind of technology from out our musical history
1: <laughs> It's so true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, when it comes to now recording and collaborating, are you thinking of everything on these different levels now? Because obviously it started with learning how to play an instrument. And then we bring in songwriting. And then now we bring in sort of this, the recording studio as an instrument. So what's your creative process now?
1: When I made my last record, Old Light, i I was the producer of that and I had sort of a... It was an evolving thing. It took three years to get it done. And I involved a lot of people. There were, you know, loads of overdubs and all. it was all very, like, there were just a lot of moving parts. And um, while I'm, you know, very happy with, with how it wound up, I, that process became pretty draining for me after a while. And so... I was pretty excited about um, doing this album really, really differently. (laughs) And when I started working with Kieran Kane, he said, I really think we should record this live. I think we should all just sit as close together as we can and record it live. And I was like, oh, well, that's a really lovely notion. Sort of like, yeah, that's a great, great idealistic concept, but there's no way (laughs) it's not going to work. (laughs) It's not going to work. And But the main reason I thought it wouldn't work was because I wasn't feeling confident as a singer. So I was like, great, let's try that. And then, you know, when I go in the, you know, in the control room and listen back to the vocals, I know I'm going to want to be like, okay, I got to fix that. So put me in the ISO booth. and um, And it was exactly the opposite. Like we sat down and recorded and I went back in the control room and I listened and I was like, Oh my god, those are my favorite vocals I've ever recorded. Wow! And so that's how we that's how we did it. We just no headphones, sitting really close together, um, which is a true feat of engineering on the part of Charles Yangling, who's the engineer for the for the record. Um, because I was basically sitting on top of the drum set, like we were so close together, and you know I was playing acoustic guitar and singing live background vocals. Like everything just went down and. I was so thrilled with what Charles was able to to do in in capturing everything in a way that sounds it just to me it sounds like we're in a room together which we were
0: Is it that energy though? Is that, I mean I, I hear that a lot actually, I think there's a movement back to authenticity now, well obviously we, we talked about this earlier, it's the age of the internet, it's the ultimate time of human existence for multiple streams of things that take place and we have old time music and it's all its various forms, popular music and it's all its various forms, everything's happening at once, we're in the sort of a period of mulch of everything. But a big uh, turn has been towards, in terms of production, like a sense of authenticity and live recording and recording albums straight to tape. And what people often say is that it's, you know, it's to get that energy or that spark and I guess light a fire under the, the performers in a sense, rather than overdubbing and you, that, those nerves that you had that were then displaced after was, oh, wow, it did sound great. Do you think it was that fire under you because everything had to be right on the take? No,
1: I actually think in a way it's the opposite because what happened wasn't that I heard something that um, that sounded great. I heard something that sounded real. Yes. Like it was basically I heard the flaws and I loved them. It was this sense of like, that sounds like actual humans playing actual music and and it's i mean it's i know i said i wasn't going to talk about politics but we were mixing the record during the election oh wow and and in the days after the election like you know i got got the master like the the day after the election a couple days after the election and it felt um it's there was on a certain level it felt like a political statement just to record something that felt flawed and human in a way where it's like i just feel like a lot of people i know their reaction to to the election was was a sense of like i just need to hunker down like yeah this <laughs> sort of like this sense of wanting to be with what's immediate and present and real and away from all the noise. And, um, and I, I feel like so much of what's going on uh, in the world right now is, is a a sort of a clash over compassion, the role of being compassionate toward other humans. (laughs) And, um, and so to, to create something that's live and contains the flaws that humans have feels like a compassionate act, as far as how we how we're presenting ourselves in our music. And um, so, yeah, something that just felt like, oh, this feels really good musically, and yeah, this is this is the right thing for me to be doing right now for myself musically in the end wound up feeling bigger than that to me in the context of what was going on in the world.
0: In terms of what's going on in the world like if you, do you think if you made this album one year's time from now it would be a completely different album do you, do you feel like the politics of your time
1: affects your work? I don't know I mean I can't imagine that it won't I mean, it's not like I've started writing protest songs or something. Although in the van on this tour, we have been talking about it every single day. And <laughs> Kai has been improvising some pretty fantastic protest songs in the van. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to wait and see how it all percolates. Yeah.
0: There's a lot to take in right now.
1: Oh, Too much. Yeah. Anyway, we should move away from yeah. that subject. <laughs> well, just but.
0: to go back to music, so people can expect the trio um, at the shows. And let me just remind everyone when they are. So uh, Wednesday, 1st of February, at are in Oma, And then the night after, you're in Bangor. Then you're back down to Lisburn, then across the Limavady, and then back over to Belfast to finish up on the Sunday. And I think the Sunday's an afternoon one, it is, right? It's yeah. like a lunchtime concert. That's yep. great. So definitely a brilliant way to spend your Sunday. Could you maybe give us a little taste of the kind of music to expect? Even though you're on your lonesome today, but you do have the fiddle.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I, of course, you have the CD, so that would be much more
2: representative. I have the CD too. Well, maybe will I play? Much more
1: representative of what you'll actually hear at the show, because that's almost the band that's going to be at the show. But I would love to play you a fiddle tune because there will be fiddle tunes in the show as well.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'll maybe play out the show uh i'll play out the the show right now later on right now later on (laughs) with a track from the cd um but i think we have right now live in the studio Raina gellert so what are we gonna hear
1: uh i'll play a fiddle tune that's called fine times at our house
0: Fine times yeah. at our house performed live in the Jewel Case studio by Raina Gellert. Wait, sorry, fine times or fun times?
1: Fine times. Fine times.
0: And I imagine fun times as well, yeah, really. Fine,
1: fun, <laughs> yes.
0: So you've been brought over here to Northern Ireland for the first time by Moving On Music, and they're a lovely bunch. And I hope to get actually Brian from Moving On Music onto the Jewel Case in the coming weeks to give a wee shout out to the festival they have coming up. But They're bringing you on tour throughout Northern Ireland, and the dates are on the website movingonmusic.com. So all around different art centres around our country. (laughs) So, Raina, I wish you all the best on the tour. And maybe, do you want to choose a track from the CD uh, to maybe play us out on the radio tonight?
1: Sure. How about, since we've been talking a lot about traditional music uh play track four which is oh and babe which is an old song from uncle dave macon so that's some old time music that we've sort of adapted a bit
0: brilliant and you can hear those adaptions as i said on Raina's tour this week uh wednesday the first of feb all the way through to sunday the fifth of feb and then you're back off the states are you yep Okay, we'll see if, if, the, Trump... if
1: they'll let us back in.
0: Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I really, really hope so. Raina, right all the best on your trip. Have a Thank good Thank you so
1: much. It's really nice to chat with you.
0: Night night.
2: Round the mountain, let's go.